LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network. G'day, I'm Scott Sanders. Hi, I'm Joe Gibbs. And I'm Derek Anna. Who was that? <laughs> well, welcome to The One Thing. You might have just heard a new voice. Uh, Joe Gibbs has joined The One Thing family, The One Thing podcast. Joe, you are not a first-time participant, though. You've, you've been on the podcast a few times now. No, once. Only once? Yeah. Seems like you've been on many more times. No, I, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's just your feedback via, you know, via email. Um, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> well, it's good to have you on the podcast, and hopefully we're going to be hearing... Uh, Lots more from you over the next uh, little while. Sure. But you're currently uh, ministering at... So Matt's at West Penner Hills. And, yeah. And I've just been sharing. She often posts on Facebook photos of food that her husband makes her. And I just, I'm like, what is that? Is that about just making it hard for every other husband out there? Yeah. Or is that... Yeah, okay. Yeah. Unashamedly. <laughs> <laughs> He's a great cook. He is, I know. I wanted those dumplings those at the other day. Oh, uh, yeah, and yeah. the cinnamon scrolls. Yeah, yeah, those cinnamon scrolls look good too. Yeah. Well, welcome to The One Thing. You are not listening to a podcast all about food. It's a podcast designed to give you one solid, practical, gospel-centered ministry tip every week. The One Thing is brought to you with thanks to Reach Australia. We want to see thousands of healthy, evangelistic, multiplying churches all across Australia. But for now, you press play on another episode of The One Thing. Healthy ministry relationships between men and women. So Derek, give, give us a bit of context for the discussion we're going to have. Well, look, I, I don't think you have to go very far to work out um, where this discussion is coming from at the moment. Um, most people in the circles we mix in have seen, unfortunately, um, Matt Chandler's announcement uh, that was very public and, and I, I want to argue very heartfelt and reflective. And there's, no, we don't know everything. We just see what was put online. But um, that raised a number of questions for well, for me personally, but for a lot of people who um, work in the circles, men and women uh, that we exist in, what is what are healthy relationships between men and women, particularly in that leadership church context, look like? Um, what are the responsibilities we have? Where are the boundaries? All those kind of things. I was saying to Scott and Joe just before this, um, a similar thing when I listened to the Driscoll podcast uh, years ago. The um, well, years ago was this year, was it? Well, last year in lockdown. Um, uh, that there was this rising sense in me of anxiety thinking, um, listening to it, am I like that? Was I like that? Um, like I heard Mark uh, Matt Chandler's announcement and thinking, because I work with uh, a number of women who are incredibly capable and I'm friends with, um, and we were closer together for many years, and thinking, um, have I done this? Have I crossed a line? Um, because there's a part of it which is un, was unclear to me in that moment as to where the line was and what a healthy relationship looked like. So that's why we're here. And this, I, this and is a I good think, discussion to have. I think the I think the challenge the challenge is I don't know as as Australians they they use the language of concerns about frequency and familiarity. Just that familiarity. Just as as Aussies we um you know we're we're a bit more relaxed. We we don't have a you know we don't have a we've got an egalitarian culture. Uh you know where we do take you know take each other down, pull each other down. There is a, a familiarity there. Do we? So, so what does it look like uh, to to do this well? And that's the language that he used. That we went, oh, am, have I been too familiar? Um, had, you know, and it was a frequency. I think the other quote was that move past sort of brother sister relationships. Um, but really, the reason why we're talking about it as well, because because the impact of, of not doing this well, um, you know, we've already seen this. Uh, you know, a brother, a Christian brother, Matt Chandler's out of ministry for a time. 
that, that's costly. He's a senior minister of a of a church that's reaching the loss in a in a in a tough city. Um, but but just the impact on women in ministry as well. So maybe Joe, do you want to? Yeah, f- what is this? Uh, you know, what are the other impacts on this that we're I guess not seeing or? Yeah, and I think it's ref- it's helpful to reflect on the fact that technology has really changed the impact. Like the ripple effect is so much bigger now. So something that happens in Texas impacts us in Perth or yep. another part of Australia. Um, so just being aware of that and the fact that it can actually, one case can make it seem like this is happening everywhere. So helpful to put that in context. But yeah, I think for women, there was so much in social media uh, reflecting on this um, announcement and what that means for women on teams. I think there's also just this regular reporting of uh, misbehaviour by senior leaders in ministry. So it can impact on women in terms of loss of trust and kind of this cynicism and fatigue. Um, but for people who've experienced abuse, it can, it can be rubbing in a, a sensitive spot again and again. But also just giving this sense that maybe church is not a safe space or maybe I'm not trusted as a woman. So is there a temptation for people, for male leaders to withdraw and see women as a danger or for us to feel like we're a danger? I think as well there's the reality that uh, we're also seeing um, not an epidemic, but a lot of pastors are saying they're, lon- they're lonely in ministry, they don't have friendships. Yeah. And and I, I, one of the things I love about our, our team at Reach Australia is um, yeah, we, we work together and there is work relationships, but we're also friends and, and peers and mates. And, uh, and that's really important. You know, like I want to enjoy working with the people I, yeah. that I work with. Um, and there is a friendship. I want to be able to ask, you know, how, how, how is it going with your wife? How is it going with your husband? Um, you I want, want that to be... You don't want it to be awkward mm. and clunky and mm-hmm. functional. Yeah. And it, and, it, and it can be lonely at times, you know, it can be lonely at times being the pastor, you know, to everybody. Uh, and one of the great things about having a team in ministry is that you do have these other people who are alongside you who you can, you know, share the highs and the lows. And I, again, I wonder if, you know, this will push back a number of senior ministers from having that close, uh, you know, relationship with, yeah. with men and, you know, with men and women. Yeah. And do you think it impacts on um, men in ministry as well in terms of thinking, oh, maybe the senior leadership space is too complex or maybe ministry is too complex, or maybe hiring a woman is too complex. So does it have, do you think it has those flow-on effects for men as well as it has for women? Oh, yeah, I think, I think you're spot on, Joe. And I think that um, in all of those areas, like even, uh, I think we're seeing that in the church, we saw that in church planning space when we, we the initial surge of excitement around church planning, and people realising, oh, it's hard, oh, there's some moral failure, I'll just avoid that one. We did see that, and I think we're going to see the same um, impact here in terms of hiring and staffing. And even if you get to the point, which I think is an incredibly helpful point, of of employing women within uh, teams, there's a nervousness about how that looks like, and it can, for good intentions, about having clear boundaries and loving people, end up with incredibly unhealthy teams uh, where you engage with some people over and above others because you're nervous about what it'll look like. Uh, so th- we have to find a way through that that's biblical, that's thoughtful, that loves people. Um, uh, but yes, yeah, we've for all the reasons we've said it's becoming increasingly complex. Um, yeah. So so some of the questions just to be sort of thinking about you know what types of relationships and friendships can people in ministry have? Can you have real friendships? And we've addressed some of those questions on the podcast. You know, in the past, uh, you know, as well. So there's a great episode where Mike and uh, Pete talk about, uh, you know, friendship in ministry. And that, you know, do I go too deep with some members of my congregation? You know, uh, yeah. you know how do I then rebuke yeah. them or how do I discipline them? 
uh, am I too uh, familiar? We've already talked about the male-female relationship on a staff team, but also with high-level leaders in church life as well. Uh, and the reality is often when you're working on a project in ministry or working in a particular team, you do spend a lot of time with hopefully your team because, you know, and, and it's one of the great places of discipleship and formation, us working together to see a ministry project uh, come out, uh, you know, come out as well. And then I think we've also got the complexity of same-sex attraction as well. Um, so what does this look like, you know, in, um, you know, for a same-sex attracted person as well? So massively con- complex. What, what does the Bible have to say on this? Go for it, Joe. <laughs> yeah, 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 take, a, take a swing. We're take all politely sitting back. Um, yeah, I, in a conversation yesterday, I was reflecting on how even the word friendship is really problematic mm. because we all kind of package different definitions into that. So, And I was looking up definitions and, and a lot of it says, you know, kind of mutual affection and a level of intimacy. And like, so that possibly friendship is an unhelpful kind of... Uh, word to use in those kind of ministry relationships in the bible we see this main framework is the the brotherly sisterly love that we're in the family of god because of who we are in christ um and i think it's a really helpful image because it's helpful to look at our biological families and say what kind of relationships in a healthy biological family do we have Mm. what sort of relationships are there there's no kind of hint of romantic stuff there's nothing inappropriate but it's just this kind of mutual concern for each other and care honor and value and even a sense of sacrifice and putting family members before each other so I find that a really helpful kind of framework to begin with Uh, passages like 1 Timothy 5 about you know don't rebuke an older man harshly exhort him as if you he was your father treat younger men as brothers older women as mothers that kind of imagery so it, it looks across different ages but it just says this is what those kind of healthy relationships can look like um, I was reflect, and, refle- and, that, and that, that language of brother and sister, I think, is is is, is beautiful. I've just been uh, reflecting on Acts sixteen with a number of people, and and at the at the end of the time when you know Paul is um, is leaving, you know, after leaving jail, they come to Lydia's house. This is Acts sixteen forty, where they saw and encouraged the brothers and sisters, yeah. and departed. Um, now, uh, just that you know the use of brothers and sisters, um, you know, Paul and Timothy and Silas, you know, yeah. they they obviously spent you know a short time. Um, a short time there but straight away using the language of brother and yeah. sister um, and a, is beautiful yeah. there's a lovely closeness there so it's not this distance that we're worried about mm. but it is appropriate and respectful and caring and supportive and yeah, yeah. and I, I was reflecting with my kids about um, aunts and uncles you know you know how back in the day we used to have aunts and uncles and they weren't our aunts and uncles they were just older Christians in the church and family as well just you know that sort of beautiful image of family is really yeah. important and it says to anyone who comes into the family of God that you've got a place here. Mm. No matter what your family relationships are outside or whether you're married or single. So everyone has this place of belonging in God's family, which is, yeah, which is lovely. Yeah, above reproach, you know, that kind of, that kind of gets thrown around. Yeah. Um, what does it look like to be above reproach? And almost, you know, when there's a problem, it's like, well, that, you haven't been above reproach. Oh, yeah, yeah. Explain, explain <laughs> that to me. Yeah, um, yeah, and we see it on all of our code of conducts, co- codes of conduct for denominations and yep, organisations. Yep. But I don't think we actually do a lot of thinking about what it means. So we're thinking about one Timothy three, Titus one. They're kind of Paul's codes of conduct for people who are shepherding God's flock. Um, 
I mean, that above reproach, that word uh, has a sense of blameless, and mm. that's what all Christians are called to. So it's not just leaders. Um, but it's I love in 1 Tim- Timothy 3 where Paul does it as kind of a heading and then he kind of lists all those different things. So it's above reproach, but it's also, you know, faithfulness in marriage and attitude to money and a whole bunch of different things. So it actually works itself out in different ways. Um, he, kind of, he kind of fleshes it out. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't leave it. He, he concretizes it with yeah. a, a holy life. Oh, yeah, faithfulness. I don't analysis. think that's a word, but um, <laughs> I understand. I understand what you're saying. <laughs> but uh, what, one of the, my reflections has been in this as well that in the in the circles we often mix in as well, there is an inclination towards one particular strain of theology rather than another. I think we do run towards the um, above approach, and that is grounded in some ways on my own brokenness and sin as well. And so, because I know I'm sinful, above approach means staying as far away from anything which might even smell or whiff of a possibility of it. So, five steps back from where we could, which which puts us in a uh, a position of actually being unable to relate to someone. So, trying to work out in this as well, where is it that my theology? in the tradition I mean leans me towards in an unhelpful way where, where do I need to have a sense of grace as well like I again I'm not sure Tom can decide whether to, to put this in or maybe I'm crossing a line and speaking out loud um, but there is that that John 4 I've been preaching on John 4 a little bit recently that John 4 that meeting of Jesus with the woman on the well is incredibly inappropriate socially there's nothing he does that's inappropriate there um, he treats her as a sister uh, and yet there's a robustness in love that he engages with her in that point, which it seems, according to the narrative, no one else around, which is not what Jewish religious leaders should be doing. Um, and so there is a sense in which, you know, there's there's got to be a way in which we can't um, build so many fences like the Pharisees that we cannot have helpful relationships within this. So understanding how is it these, where is the retrieval ethic in here, in order to allow sin and friendship and connection and love and discipleship to meet, knowing that there are going to be points, um, and this is why we have policies around this as well, there are going to be points in which we think we didn't quite get that right. But I don't know, you, t- you both tell me, are we, we're obviously trying to avoid those moments of saying we didn't quite get that right, we don't want to get there. My gut feeling is we, we probably will at points. So how far do you set the boundaries in here in order to... Build genuine relationships without building stumbling blocks. And it's is it is it about being, you know, free from accusation? About being, you know, like let, let there not even be a, a hint of sexual immorality. You know, so not not even a hint. Those um, so you, those two things you've just said there are, are slightly different. This is one that, of the challenges. They, it, not even a hint, but not open to. You know, anyone can accuse anyone of anything at the moment. Yeah. And you don't necessarily even have to provide proof. Now, the church hasn't done itself any favours in the past in lots of areas in this. Um, but but I, don't, I don't think there's... above reproach means uncriticised or free from accusation yeah. because mm. Jesus was criticised regularly and he said that his followers would be as well. So it's not that you're free from that. And I don't think it means perfection either because otherwise no one would mm. be in ministry. Mm. But that sense of above reproach and blameless pushes us towards this sense of perfection so where do you put grace into it? Is it a sense of someone who's actively working on with God through the Spirit and His Word on their own sanctification? So someone who is 
confessing their sins regularly to someone who's dealing with smaller sins so that it doesn't become bigger, who has a life that's transparent? Like, mm. Is it those sorts of things? Is it about outside reputation? Um, is it about just avoiding hypocrisy so that you're not teaching one thing and living something else? Yeah. And is it about consistency um, as well? You know, so so just sort of the boring mundane of, you know, of, of just turning up, being re- being regular and wise. Um, I, can, I can remember at college, um, Stuart Colton, uh, he used to sort of take us for um, sort of pastoral the- theology and, and he talked about the fact that he would always meet, uh, you know, men and women and have all these pastoral conversations at the one cafe in Blacktown. Everyone knew when he was in that cafe and if you're meeting with him, you're having a pastoral conversation. Uh, it was open, it was public, you know, pe- you know people knew about it. Um, you know, there, he was consistent, you know, day, you know, week in, week out, that was where it happened. Um, so, again, that transparency, that openness, uh, you know, I think is, is important as well. Yeah. Yeah. It, just to complicate the matter even further, though, uh, let's take that into a, a virtual relationship. So, we, we, our team is spread across Australia. So, I will um, regularly have one-on-one meetings where I have to talk to someone. As I would normally wouldn't offer, but it'll be one-on-one in a Zoom conversation. Um, so how does it how does it translate into that context? There, um, I am regularly sending direct messages to people I work with, men and women. Um, now anyone can check them, and that's the beauty of it. And, and women I work with, Jacqueline sees everything that my wife, Jacqueline, not a random woman, because Jacqueline, my wife, Jacqueline sees everything that I put out there. Um, but there are there's technology has created some complexity in this area, and I'm not I'm I'm not sure what the answer to some of those things are, and I think we're only discovering it, and I think some people are discovering it a little bit too late perhaps so so help us distinguish then we've i think we've talked largely about the christian leader uh what does this look like for leaders on your team um what does this look like for from a modeling perspective from a a code of conduct perspective and expectations perspective yeah um again often i think you know this plays out in church life in the in the youth and the children's ministry space we've got lots of yeah lots of rules and expectations uh, around in that in that space but probably haven't thought much about this in the, you know, for the welcoming team and uh, the music team and the other teams that we've got in, in church life as well. Yeah, and it's a good question in terms of high-level volunteers, volunteers. We, we give people job descriptions. We're expecting a higher level of engagement and managing teams. It makes sense that you'd have code of, a code of conduct for those sorts of volunteers and team leaders, mm. and, and maybe that's a gap in what? What a lot of us are doing. So again, to concretize it a little bit more, what what does it look like when it goes badly? What does it look like when it's you know good? So can we can can we talk about some of the issues that you know women face that leaders face um, when it goes badly? Yeah. Well, I was thinking, uh, Derek, you mentioned some of the stuff about people distancing themselves. And I think if we've got to focus on minimising risk, and that's our main aim, then there'll be a lot of distancing that happens. So some clunky relationships or awkwardness, or we just become completely task-focused and functional, which really isn't reflecting that idea of the family of God. Um, so you mean um, I don't want to have I don't want to have any relational sort yeah. of with you. I've just don't tell just me talk, about your life. Let's just talk work. <laughs> yeah, okay? yeah, yeah. Let's keep it simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to know about your kids. Yeah, I don't want to know about your husband. Yeah. Just get on. Just get on with ministry. Yeah, Joe. don't want to get it complicated. Just yep. yeah, as simple as possible. And I think that that's not great. What's wrong with that? That's Derek and that's Derek and I. <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know. Okay, works for you. Really functional. <laughs> 
Um, but then I think women really feel this. So I've been to the conference where you're in the minority, so it's daunting already. Mm. But you try to st- strike up a conversation with someone who's male and you can feel this kind of awkwardness. They're like, oh, should I be talking to you? Women feel this all the time. So it, it really is in, in, encouraging women to engage in that ministry space or to kind of yeah, network in that way. I think it also, as I mentioned before, women can feel like they're problematic or they're dangerous or they're the temptations rather than actually highlighting that it's our personal sin and sin is the danger. So how can we have a great open conversation around how that would work as a team? I think it can also mean that there's less understanding put into, uh, yeah, understanding the context of women on the team. So it, yeah, it just becomes all about minimising risk. I've, yeah, someone's someone's mentioned that um, what it's looked like, you know, in a staff team when it's gone badly, is that the senior minister has sort of said to the woman's pastor, uh, I, "I don't want to know what's going on in your world because I don't want to get in, you know, caught up in any of that sort of stuff." So if we just don't talk about your ministry, oh, yeah. Uh, now, <laughs> yeah, no problems with that. <laughs> I mean, how do you how do you help them grow their ministry if you're not talking about their ministry? Uh, how do you have one on ones with yeah. them to make sure they're actually yeah. Um, working on their job, you know, actually yeah. just getting the outcomes of their job description. So it can be really detrimental to the development of the women on your teams, uh, providing opportunities for them to be mentored, but also just having that access to the senior minister so that it's not through a third party that you're actually able to explain that these are key issues that are coming up in your ministry area. So it can become based around gender rather than actual roles. So you can see how that's not effective for team functioning. Um, Scott, you and I heard of an example of someone who joined a team, they were the first woman joining the team, and everything kind of had to readjust around having a woman on the team. You know, it was all this, who's going to go in what car with whom, and how are we going to meet? And it just felt really awkward for them, rather than thinking beforehand, what Yeah, well, I was going to say, like? think about it beforehand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can work some of these things out. Yeah. Make sure it works for everyone, and, and that it's equal and fair, so no one's missing out. And And... And make it be something that the leader is leading, not, um, uh, you know, not the person who's, you know, the, yeah. the team member. Who's, yes, she's always putting their hand up. Yeah. Hey, I think we need to think about this. Yeah. Mm. I think the other thing we've also talked about is just those um, one-to-one catch-ups. And I've heard of women being, um, to having those catch-ups with, for example, the minister's wife, but the minister's wife isn't theologically trained and they're not part of the staff team. So there's, a, there's all the possibilities for triangulation and just, you know, they're, they're not actually being, being developed really well, less opportunities. The complexity so. of it, just, just the complexity oh, of it. Oh, man, yeah. Mm. yeah. This is a long episode, so tune in for the two parts. <laughs>